Amen. So Romans chapter 1, uh, just a briefly, uh, what we covered last week, we just gave a, a brief introduction to the book of Romans last week. We mentioned, uh, as most of you know, that, that Romans, it was an epistle written by Paul. Uh, uh, Paul wrote this epistle. Uh, he's the author of, the, of this letter. Uh, he's writing to a church which he never visited himself. And he's actually writing for the city of Corinth at the time. And so as Paul writes, you're going to hear him say a lot of things like, uh, I long to see you guys or I long to be with you guys. And really that was his heart. That even though he had never been there, even though uh, we don't know how the church was established, we know that, that, part, that, that Paul had some type of influence in the establishing of this church. But his heart was to be with these believers. He would, he would tell them in the, in the first verses, he would say, he says, he, says, uh, uh, he would introduce himself, right? And then he, was, he would introduce the Lord whom he serves. And then picking it up now in verse 8, he says this to them. He says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit and the gospel of his son, that without ceasing, meaning without stopping, I make mention of you always in my prayers. Verse 10, making request if by some means, now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. And so Paul, again, as he's just writing to them, right? He's just so encouraged by this church there at Rome. Uh, word about the church of, of, of Rome has gotten around the whole known world, their Asia Minor. And, and the word around the street about the church of Rome is, man, they're faithful. They're strong. They're established. And so Paul's like, man, I have to go see you guys. I want to be with you guys. I want to meet you guys. As he's hearing about them. And so Paul, as, as he gives his introduction, he, he goes on to say, I thank God for you all. I love that, that, that Paul had never met them, but yet he's thanking God for them. You know, and as I was reading this, I was studying for it. I'm thinking, man, all the other uh, uh, believers whom I've met uh, since I've been saved, right, in different countries, different cities. And, and, and I had to just pause and say, Lord, thank you for the body of Christ. Right? Thank you for the, for, the, for, the, for the body of believers that you have all over the world. And Paul's saying, I thank God for you all. And so again, Paul had not yet visited the church of Rome. And they had never seen him before face to face. But they had each other in heart. right? And they had heard of each other. No doubt they had, they had heard of the Apostle Paul. They had probably even read some of his other epistles to the other churches. Again, the Apostle Paul would have been in ministry for about 20 years now. Uh, 20 to 23 years now at this point. So they had heard about the Apostle Paul. Probably even read some of his letters. Probably received some, some instructional doctrine from him. Right? And, 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 but yet they had never seen each other face to face. But yet, again, we see that, that the Church of Rome had made a reputation for themselves. You know, they were known for their faith in God. That's amazing. I think if, if, if anybody wants to know, wants to be known, known by anything, I think it, it, that's, a, that's a great start. Man, all to be known for your faithfulness in God. That's amazing. Right? And so the church in Rome here was known for their faithfulness in God. And interesting what, what John says there in 3 John 1, 4. He would say, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Coming from the heart of a, of, of a, of a, of a, of a pastor, the, the Apostle John, he would say, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children, not his physical children, but his spiritual children, those, those whom he poured into, those whom he discipled, those whom he maybe got saved at when he was preaching at. He said, hey, I have no greater joy than to know that my children are walking in truth. And although Paul had never uh, had any direct contact with the believers at Rome, no doubt they were influenced by his ministry. And really, this is, again, the greatest joy for any minister, for any preacher, for any... Even if, if you have some type of spiritual influence, influence on someone else, this is the greatest joy. that To know that you poured into someone uh, at some point, and years later, down the line, you see them, and they're walking strong with the Lord. That's the greatest joy. 
And it's the greatest joy. That's the, the, if you're a minister of the Lord, if you're, if you're doing the work of the Lord, if, if your heart is to disciple, to pour into others, that's the greatest joy. Knowing that, hey man, look, I poured into this person. Years later, they're walking strong. And so the Apostle John would say, I have no greater joy. I tell you, I have no greater joy. Salvation, uh, uh, righteousness, this, that, the other. He says, hey, you know what? He says, my joy is in the fact that my children are walking in truth, my spiritual children. And, and, and this was Paul, Paul's heart, right? As he hears about the church there at Rome, and he's just full of joy, knowing, man, I've heard about you guys. That you're faithful, right? Paul, again, there in First Thessalonians 2.19, he would say about the church, he would say, for what is our hope? Or what is our joy? Or what is our crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at His coming? And so we see the heart of Paul. That The heart of Paul was not to establish big churches, not to make a name for himself, not to make a reputation for himself. But again, his heart was to see that those whom he had poured into or whom he had seen get saved, that they would continue in the Lord, that they would persevere. He would call them, hey man, he would say, you guys are my crown of rejoicing. Right? And he goes on to say, uh, he says, I thank God for you all. And then he says, I pray for you all. And so not only thanking God for them, but also praying for them. And not just praying for them, but praying for them constantly. I love this about the, about the Apostle Paul because he says, I, he says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ. He says, I, I, I pray for you, guys, for you guys. He says, God is my witness. Right? I don't know if you guys ever thrown out some Christian terms by right? someone's throwing... Uh, maybe spilling some stuff on you and saying, all right, you know what? Hey, I'm going through this. Pray for me. You say, hey, all right, I pray for you, bro. You walk away and you forget to pray for him. I'm guilty of doing this. Right? So I, I try to make it a habit of praying right there on the spot, either with the person or in my head. Because I'll walk away. I'll say, all right, I pray for you. And then I leave and I forget to pray. And saying I'll pray for you is not the same as praying for someone. But the Apostle Paul would be able to say with, uh, with, with, with man, just uh, transparently, hey, God is my witness that I've been praying for you guys constantly. Without ceasing, I've been remembering you guys. And really, this is a true mark of love. When you take the time to pray for somebody, I mean, think about this, right? One of the, one of the greatest uh, 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 displays of love that, 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 that in my eyes that, that, that I can receive is when someone tells me, hey, bro, I've been praying for you. Why? Because it tells me that, that they're taking the time from their life, you know, taking time that they're never going to get back, right? Time is one thing that you can never get back. Everyone has been given the same amount of time. Uh, no matter if you're rich, if you're poor, if you're this, if you're that, or the other, we all have 60 seconds in a minute, right? We all have 60, 60 minutes in an hour. We all have 24 hours in a day. No matter who you are, you have the same amount of time, and, and this time doesn't roll over. And so for someone to give me their time, I, I consider it the most valuable thing. If someone would sit down and just talk to me, if someone would take the time out of their life to say, you know what, bro, I'm going to pray for you. Even if it's two minutes out of my life, five minutes out of my life, ten minutes out of my life. For me, that's the greatest display of love. And the Apostle Paul, in displaying his love for them, he would say, hey, I pray for you guys all the time. Right? I'm giving to you guys something that I'm never going to get back. My time, my heart, right? Uh, praying for you guys. And so we see that Paul's prayer, uh, he says, I pray for you guys all the time, right? And we see that Paul's prayer was that he would have, that he would find some way to visit them. And then he says, in God's will. And so Paul longed to visit them and see them. He longed to spend time with them. He longed to, to have fellowship with them. He longed to see them. He longed to, 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 to just be with them, right? And, and we see that, that he tried to go many times before, but he was hindered. He was hindered, right? And he really, he was hindered uh, by the Lord. It wasn't the enemy who would say, no way, I'm not going to let Paul go over there. We know through the, through, through the book of Acts that it was the Holy Spirit that was hindering Paul from going to Rome at that time. 
And so Paul said, hey, I've been praying for you guys. I want to see you guys. He says, I'm praying that somehow it would be God's will that would go and see you guys and visit you guys. And so with that, it's important to, to recognize. It's important to, to, to recognize when God is closing your door and when God is opening your door. You would think him being the Apostle Paul, having visited all these churches 20 years later, still hasn't visited Rome, knows that there's a strong church. Man, I would do everything possible to be there at Rome. I would strive against God's will. Me, I would. Right, my flesh, but not Paul. Not Paul. He would say, "All right, if it's not God, if it's not God's will, then I'm not going to go." Right? Maybe it's not the time. Right? And, and so he would say, "All right, I'm praying that that it would I would find time or I, I would find some way in God's will to go and see you guys." And so it's important to recognize when God is closing a door and when God is opening a door. Again, Paul was not the type to 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 pry open this, this, this door if it wasn't God's will. Right? He was completely fine with recognizing. All right, I guess the Lord doesn't want me to go over there. Right now, right? I mean, uh, he, he, he trusted in God's perfect timing, right? Now, uh, it, it, he prayed specifically that, he, that his visit would be in the will of God. Now, Paul would eventually make it to Rome, but not the way he thought, right? He had prayed for many years, Lord, I want to be in Rome. Lord, I want to see these guys. Lord, uh, I feel like I, I have to be there with them. And, 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 and no doubt he was right, but he had the timing wrong, right? And, and it was actually going to happen according to God's timing. He would eventually visit Rome. He would eventually be at Rome for uh, the remainder of his last years and eventually even be beheaded there at Rome, right? be killed there at Rome. But again, it wasn't the way that he thought it was going to be. There in Acts 23, 11, as, uh, if you're familiar with, the, with, with that chapter, as, as Paul is there in Jerusalem and he stirs up this crazy mob that wants to kill him because of his testimony for, for Jesus Christ. Yeah, we're told that, that the Apostle Paul actually got a little fearful. For the first time ever, we hear the Apostle Paul getting fearful. And we're told that, that the Lord had to, had to speak to him at night. And it says this in Acts 23, 11. It says, but the following night, the Lord stood by him or stood by Paul and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. You could just imagine the Apostle Paul after all these years praying that he would be at Rome. Now he's in this... Uh, predicament there there, there there at Jerusalem his life is at danger and all of a sudden the Lord tells him hey Paul look you've been a good witness to me at Jerusalem you're going to be a good, a good witness to me also in Rome and you can just imagine what was going through the mind of the Apostle Paul he's like alright Lord I guess it's in your timing right later on in, in, uh, in Acts 28 and then verse 16 we're told it says that now when, he, when we came to Rome the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard but Paul but Paul was permitted to dwell by himself with a soldier who guarded him. Paul thought he was going to go, uh, he was going to make it to Rome, maybe with Silas or with Timothy or with Apollos or one of his traveling companions with, uh, with uh, Dr. Luke or one of these other guys. He thought he was going to go just say it was going to be a regular missionary trip he was, like, like, like he had gone to Ephesus and to, and to all these other cities. That's what he thought. Never probably in a million years did he think that he was going to visit Rome, chained to a Roman guard. But it wasn't his plans. It was God's plans. And so God took him to Rome. But he took him uh, chained to a Roman guard. And then later on in, in, uh, in, in verse 30 of, of chapter 28 of Acts. It says, Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house. And received all who came to him. Preaching the kingdom of God. And teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ. With all confidence. No one forbidding him. I love this about the Lord. How he perfectly worked it out for the Apostle Paul. I can imagine if Paul would have went over there on his own terms, on his own circumstances, on his own dime, maybe he wouldn't have had the freedom to, to preach and to teach 
so freely as as he did during the, during his, his last days, right? But because he went over there as a prisoner, because he went over there uh, awaiting trial, because he went over there uh, pleading to see Caesar, and he spent the rest of his years there, we're told that the Lord gave him a house, his own house, where he was free to receive visitors all day long, all night long, and we're told that he was able to 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 preach the kingdom of God and to teach the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence. Not having to worry about his life. Not having to worry about a mob coming up him. Not having to worry about the religious leaders coming to kill him. Not having to worry about anything else. So we see that, 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 that the Lord used him mightily in his last days. They're at Rome. He took him to Rome. Again, not the way he thought. But actually in a better way. Right? The circumstances may not have been ideal for Paul. Maybe he wouldn't have, that wouldn't have been his first choice. But we see that that was God's choice. And that's how God decided to, 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 to take him to Rome. And we see that, that it was actually a better way. Why? Because he was able to be used more effectively because he had nothing hindering him. Right? In fact, he was probably, he was probably, at, at, he was probably at an old age already. He couldn't walk as much as, as he could. And now look, all he had to do was just be there at home and people would come to him. Where all his life he would go travel around by foot, by, by, by ship and, and, and all these other things. Now, hey man, he was at home and they would come to him. He was able to minister more effectively. Again, but that was God's will for him. He prayed for a long time. All right, I want to get to you guys according to God's will. And this was, this was God's will for him, that he would go chained to a Roman guard and eventually be beheaded there at Rome. And so God doesn't, doesn't always answer our prayers the way we would like him to. But if we're praying for his will in our life, then we can be confident. We can be sure. We can rest in this, that, 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 that however God decides to do it, it's his perfect will. And if it's not his perfect will, then I don't want it. Right, like Moses would say, Lord, if your spirit doesn't go with us, we don't want to go. Right? And so even if it may not be the way we thought it was going to happen, hey, if God makes it be that way or if he allows it to be that way or if he sets it up this way, then that's what we want. Right? Even if we don't understand it. One of my favorite verses, Isaiah 55, 8 through 9. It says, For my ways are not your ways, says the Lord, nor are my thoughts your thoughts. He says, For as far as the heavens are from the earth, that's how different my ways are from your ways and your thoughts from my thoughts. Right, so God is most likely never going to do things the way you think He will or the way you think He should. Right? I could testify to you guys in my, in my short uh, years walking with the Lord that God has almost never done things the way that I asked Him to. But He's always done them a better way. And so, uh, I, I, again, I just love that about the, about, about the Lord and, and His work in the Apostle Paul. Paul goes on to say there in verse 11 now, he says... For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift, so that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you also by the mutual faith of both you and me. And so more than just see them, more than just saying, hey, I want to see you guys. More than just saying, hey, I want to be with you guys. More than just saying, hey, I want to talk to you guys. Paul longed for the fellowship. He longed for it. I mean, like, man, he craved it. He needed it. He needed it. He needed this, this camaraderie. Now, Fellowship is, is more than just hanging out to go grab a burger or something, right? We call, we put, we put that stamp of fellowship on everything now. Hey, let's go get some food. Boom, fellowship. Oh, hey, let's go watch a movie. Boom, fellowship. Hey, let's go do this. Hey, fellowship. But really, fellowship is not fellowship unless the Lord is involved, right? Just because we're Christians and we go do something and we call it fellowship, it's not fellowship. Fellowship involves this cultivating, uh, you know, this 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 building up, uh, uh, this building up of one another, this admonishing up of one another. It, it, it involves the Lord. 
Right? And so fellowship is fellowship when the Lord is, is present and, and when we're building each other, each other up and we're encouraging each other and when we're, uh, uh, again, pouring into each other. That's fellowship. And so Paul was longing for that fellowship with the believers. Again, he would say, he would say I long to see you guys that I may impart to you some spiritual gift right, so that you may be established and that I may be encouraged with you. I want to impart to you guys so that you can be established, but I want to be encouraged as I do that by you. Again, that fellowship, right? That, 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 time, that, that spiritual transaction. And so for believers, again, fellowship is a, is a time of sharpening one another, of encouraging and of building one another up. I like the way the, the NLT puts this verse, uh, verse 11 and 12. It says, For I long to visit you so I can bring you some spiritual gift that will help you grow strong in the Lord. When we get together, I want to encourage you in your faith, but I also want to be encouraged by yours. So Daniel uh, puts it puts it puts it in a different way. It, it kind of gets straight to the point. He says, "When we get together, I want to encourage you in your faith, but I also want to be encouraged by you." And so we see that with all of Paul's experience in ministry, those twenty plus years of doing the work of the Lord, the twenty plus years since he met the Lord then there on the road to Damascus, right? And he was transformed. He was changed forever. With all his years, he recognized something. He recognized that as we take time to serve God and to Pour into other believers, we ourselves become refreshed and encouraged. You would think, man, that's the Apostle Paul. Who can encourage the Apostle Paul? Right? I mean, it's like, man, he, the Lord had to come to him by, by night in a dream. He said, hey, Paul, be of good courage. I was like, man, I would think it's like me trying to go encourage Pastor Raw or go encourage you know, one of these big guys. It's like, man, they don't want to hear from me, right? Or I would feel like, man, what do I have to say to these guys, right? They've been doing ministry for a long time. They're giants in the faith, you know, according to, to our standards. But yet the Apostle Paul would say, hey, I want to go encourage you guys so that you guys could also encourage me. And so he understood with all his years of, 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 of walking with the Lord, with all his years of, of, of ministry, he, he understood that as, as we take time to serve God and to pour into other believers, that we ourselves become refreshed and become encouraged. One of my favorite proverbs to quote, and if you've been around, around me long enough, you'll, you'll probably hear me quote this multiple times a day, is... Proverbs 11.25, it says, The generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will himself be watered. One of my favorite Proverbs, and it's something that I remind myself of every single day. He who waters will himself be watered. I love giving myself out for the Lord. I love exhausting myself in the Lord. I love pouring myself out in the Lord. Why? Because I experience this just refreshing. I experience this just pouring out on me. And, and, and yeah, I'm tired of all these things, but, but, but inwardly, Man, guys, I, I can't describe to you how refreshed I am inwardly as I, as I pour out, right? As I, as I just let myself be used by God. The Lord just refreshes me. The Lord waters me as I water others. And, and really, that's something for all of us, right? It's not just for whoever's up here teaching. But the Lord says, hey, he who waters right, will himself be watered. I like what, what, uh, what this little incident there with the Lord Jesus there in John chapter 4, if you're familiar with the story, as, as Jesus and his disciples were, were they said that, that they had to cut through Samaria, right? and, and they stop at this well. And as, as they stop at this well, the disciples are hungry. They've been walking for a long time. Jesus is hungry. And so he tells the disciples, hey, why don't you guys go into the city? Why don't you guys get us something to eat and come back? I'll stay right here at the well. They, probably, they thought, oh man, well, Jesus is really tired. He sent us out on a mission. We'll come back with some food. You know, they, did they know that as they went out, Jesus is doing ministry there at the well. He's tired. He's hungry. He's doing ministry. This lady comes up. He starts uh, drawing water. She comes at, at, a, at, a, at, a, at a weird time of the day. It's around noontime where the sun is beaming at its hottest. Right? She went over there because of, of her shame, uh, because of her lifestyle. And, and she didn't know she was going to run into the Savior, the Savior of her soul. 
She runs into Jesus. They begin to have this dialogue, right? Uh, uh, Jesus pretty much uh, reveals himself to her. Say, "Yeah, I'm the Messiah. I'm the one you've been waiting for." She goes out to tell everyone else back in Samaria. And as this, as the disciples come back, and, and, and they're like, "All right, Jesus, we came back with the with the with, with, with the food." He says, "I'm not hungry anymore." And they, it says that they begin to ask themselves, "Hey, did someone bring him food or what?" I'll read it to you guys. It says in John four thirty two, but he said to them, "I have food." I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him anything to eat? And Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. So the Lord, even the Lord Jesus recognized that as, as he was here on earth. As he was here on earth, he was, it wasn't that he was just, boom, 100% God. And that's why he never, he never got tired. He never got hungry. He never got weary. No. As he was here, as Jesus took on this bodily form, he was 100% man and 100% God. Not 50-50. It's what, in, in, uh, in uh, uh, theological terms, is called the hypostatic union. Right? Jesus is full deity and full humanity. Not 50-50, not 75-25, not 40-60. Uh, he was 100% man, 100% God. Him being 100% man, he got tired. He got weary. Right? He, he got hungry. He got thirsty. He got tempted, though he never sinned. Him being 100% man, he was, he, he was able to, uh, as he was there in the garden, remember, and, and, and the Roman soldiers came to arrest him, and Peter drew out his sword, and he said, he told Peter, hey, Peter, come on, don't you know if I wanted to? I could call legions of angels, thousands and thousands of angels to come in, armies of angels to come in and defend me. He said, look, he said, put away your sword, right? Him being deity, Right? He was able to have this, 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 this uh, fellowship with the Father. He was able to, to heal the sick, to heal the blind, to heal the lame. Right? He was able to feed multitudes, thousands and thousands, with just a couple loaves of, of, of bread and fish. But again, he was also 100% God and, and, and 100% man. And so him being 100% man, again, he got tired, he got worried. But even Jesus in his, in his humanity, he recognized that, that as he served God, as he refreshed others, as he just did ministry, that he was refreshed himself, Right? Again, he said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. There's this satisfying, uh, this, this satisfying just uh, thing that happens in you as you serve God, as you know that you're doing what God has called you to do. There's just this satisfaction that, that, that can't be brought by anything else in this world. As you know, like, man, this is what God has called me to do, and this is what I'm doing. And it doesn't even have to be coming up here and teaching. It could be, man, God called me to be the best husband I can be, and I'm doing it. God called me to be the best mother, the best teacher, the best worker, the best, uh, uh, I don't know, uh, sweeper, whatever, best custodian. As you, as, as you are just obeying the Lord completely to whatever He's called you to be, and there's just this satisfaction, man, I'm doing the work of God, I'm being obedient to everything that He's calling me to do. There's this satisfaction that can't be brought by anything else. And so if you're feeling dry in your walk, if you're feeling discouraged, my question would be, man, well, when's the last time you, you prayed for somebody? When's the last time you poured into someone? When's the last time you used your spiritual gifts? Right? Because Paul would say, hey, man, as, as, I'm, as I'm strengthening you guys, I'm encouraged. Right? And it's the spiritual law that I can't explain. That as you're giving yourself out for the Lord, hey, man, the Lord just refreshes you. Right? And, and I find myself a lot of times throughout my walk, man, I feel dry. And then I start recognizing, man, I'm, I'm in the Word. Right? I'm, my prayer life is okay, but you know what? I'm, I'm not exercising my gifts. I'm not being obedient to what God has come to do. And once I step out, it's like, man, I, I begin to just get refreshed, right? 
Now that's, again, that's if you're feeling dry. Not if you're feeling burnt out. That's two separate things. If you're feeling burnt out in ministry, then that means that you're taking on things that God has not called you to take on. Jesus said, hey, all you who are tired and worried, come to me. Take my yoke upon me. Right? He says, for my burden is, my, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So if you're in ministry and you feel burdened, then maybe God is not, maybe you're doing something that God has not called you to do because his burden is light. But if you're feeling dry, then maybe maybe you got to start exercising your gifts. Maybe you got to start uh, being obedient to, to that little tugging, that little nudging of the Holy Spirit in your life. And so Paul will continue to say there in verse 13, he says, Now, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that I often plan to come to you, but I was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. And he says in verse 14, I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written. Then he quotes the Old Testament book of Habakkuk. Says, the just shall live by faith. Or it could be translated to the righteous shall live by faith. And so Paul wants him to know that, that he didn't forget about them. Right? He had tried to make it out to Rome, but he just couldn't. Again, being in ministry for so long and, and, and not being able to, to get to Rome. You can imagine, maybe they started thinking, oh, well, maybe he doesn't want to visit us because we're all Gentiles. Or maybe he doesn't want to visit us because X reason. And, and Paul, not letting the enemy come in and, and throw and put a wrench in the operation, he says, hey, let me clear it up, guys. It's not that I don't want to be with you guys. It's not, it's not that I haven't tried to go over there. But he says, it just, it just hasn't happened, right? I, I'm, I'm trying, but it just, it, it, it just hasn't happened. And so because the church at Rome was mainly Gentile, there was a lot of Jews in there, but it was mainly Gentile. Uh, Paul made it clear that, that them being Gentiles had nothing to do with him not going. And so he says, hey, I'm a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, to wise and unwise. Meaning, man, I'm indebted to the whole world to preach the gospel. Because I want to make it out to you guys just as I want to make it out to those guys, just as I want to make it out to those guys over there also. He says, it's, it, 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 it's, it's not anything, anything specific. He says, I, I want to go over there. It just hasn't been the right time. And so what he says is, I have an obligation to preach Christ both to the civilized world and to the uncivilized, to the wise and to the unwise. And then he says, hey, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. Just as I've, I've preached it in Corinth and, and, and Galatia and, and, and Ephesus and all these other cities. He says, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you guys in Rome also. He says, I want to go. I'm ready. I'm praying. I'm trying to be over there with you guys. He says, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you guys in Rome also. Right? I love how, 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 the, how the Apostle Paul would word it. He says, I'm ready. I'm ready. Right? How many times has someone called you to do something? You're like, I don't know, bro. I'm not ready. I said it. I got called. Hey, can you just, oh, I'm not ready. I don't know. I got to figure something out. The Apostle Paul, he was always ready. Not just to teach, but he was ready to die at any given moment for the Lord. He would say this in Acts 21, 13. It says, then Paul answered, what do you mean by weeping and breaking, breaking my heart? For I am ready. Notice that. I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Man, this guy was a fireball. He was ready. Ready to preach, ready to evangelize, ready to teach, ready to die. Whatever the Lord had called him to do, he was ready at any given moment. He would say this to, 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 to a young pastor, Timothy, there at 2 Timothy 4, 1, 2. He would say, as he's encouraging Timothy now, he would say, I charge you, therefore. And when he says, I charge you, He's saying, I'm giving you the strictest orders, no compromising. This 
has to be done. He says, I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead as, at, at His appearing and in His kingdom. So he's saying, all right, Timothy, I'm ordering you. This is a marching order coming from a commanding officer. No wavering. You must obey. God is my witness and God is going to judge the living and the dead if you don't obey this. Says, I charge you, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering or with all patience and teaching. Paul was ready. He told Timothy, Timothy, you got to be ready too. He tells us today, hey, you guys got to be ready also. Ready to what? Ready to die? Yeah, ready to die. Ready to preach. Ready to do whatever God has called you to do. He told Timothy, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Meaning, whether you feel like it or not, we always got to be ready. Peter would write later on in his epistle. And he would say, hey, always be ready to give an answer to someone who asks about your faith. Always be ready. Right? Doesn't mean that you have to convert anybody, but you got to be ready to, ready to give an answer. And so Paul was always ready to do whatever God was calling him to do at any given moment. And we as believers should always be ready also. Always. Right? It's not me saying it. It's the Word saying it. And so we see that, we know that, that God wants to use us. You know, He's put His Holy Spirit in us. He's empowered us with uh, gifts of the Holy Spirit. 21 gifts of the Holy Spirit. You can read it in 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, and Ephesians 4. 12, 12, 4. If you're ever interested in doing a study on the gifts, always remember that. 12, 12, 4. 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, and Ephesians 4. 21 gifts of the Holy Spirit. God has empowered us with gifts of the Holy Spirit. He has placed callings on our lives. He has placed His, His, His own Spirit in us, dwelling in us, to work in and through us. God wants to use us. And so, uh, I encourage you, let yourself be used by God. It's the greatest feeling in the world. Even if you just say, all right, the Lord says, hey, why don't you drive down the street and why don't you pray for that? All right, cool. Man, you feel so fulfilled afterwards. Now, again, as Paul is just admonishing, as he's just uh, encouraging them, he says, hey, I'm ready. Right? And boldly. And now, how was it that Paul was always so ready? How was it that this guy was just ready to go at any given moment? Not just there at Corinth, not, not just here at Rome, at, at, in Rome, but how was it that he was just always ready? Well, he says in verse 16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. He would have gone to say, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So he says, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you guys. Why? Because I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Therefore, I'm ready to preach it at any given moment. Right? He was not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That word ashamed in the Greek, it's probably going to butcher it, but it's epaskinomai in the Greek, which means embarrassed or guilty because of one's actions, characteristics, or associations. To be reluctant to do something through fear of embarrassment or humiliation. That's what a shame means. And Paul is saying, hey, I'm ready to preach the gospel at any given moment, at any given place. Why? Because I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because it's the power of God unto salvation. Because I'm not embarrassed by it. I'm not guilt- I'm not, I don't feel guilty because of it. I, 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 says, I don't feel guilty with my association to Christ. I'm not reluctant to do it through fear of embarrassment or, or humiliation in the eyes of man. I don't care. Paul could care less what men thought about him. Like he was ready. Right? Are you embarrassed to be associated with Christ? Paul wasn't. He was not. 
He was not ashamed. He would say, I'm not ashamed. Right? That was the driving force behind his ministry unto the Lord. That he, his, his lack of shame. Right? He was just a, a recklessly uh, unashamed. To a point where he was just ready to do anything for God at any given moment. He was unashamed. Right? And ultimately, that's what it comes down to. Someone says, hey, why don't you go do this over there? Oh, I don't know. What if I, uh, I look dumb? or whatever. What I'm saying is, I care more about what they think about me than what God thinks about me. I care more about man's opinions than man's opinions than God's opinions about me, and I would rather obey God than uh, than man. Right? I would rather obey God, do what God has called me to do, and look stupid before the whole world than to please God, please the world. I mean, please the world, please man, and disobey God. And ultimately, it comes down to that. <laughs> Sometimes we just care too much about what people think about us. I'll say it straight up. I've ranked it before. I've been at work, I've been at whatever, I, I've, I've had a moment where like, I know I could step in and say something, lead to one of the Lord, or just give someone a word of encouragement in the Lord. And I've ranked them, like, ah, oh, I don't know, maybe some other time. Or, and I walk away, I'm like, ah, oh, Lord, forgive me, send someone more faithful than me. Right? It's happened. And ultimately, I recognize in my life that it was always because I cared what that person thought about me. And now I've come to, to the realization that if I care more about what they think about me, I should just serve them <laughs> rather than serve God. Right? If I care more about what man thinks about me. But Paul said, hey man, it's not me. I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because it's the power of God unto salvation. Paul understood that the gospel, how we covered it last week, the gospel is found in 1 Corinthians 15 verses 1 to 3. The gospel is this. The word gospel means evangelion, good news. The gospel is this, that Jesus Christ, that God, uh, God the Son, Came Jesus Christ here on earth, that he died on the cross for our sins, that he rose again on the third day, and that he seated with the Father, and that through what he did on the cross, now we can be made righteous before God. That's the gospel. That's the good news. Simply that. Anybody who tries to change that, uh, we heard yesterday from Pastor Frank, he says, hey man, I want to watch out for that person. For anybody who tries to uh, pervert or distort that or change that, that's the gospel message. And Paul would say, I know that the gospel message is the power of God unto salvation. And so Paul understood that the, that the gospel was the power of God unto salvation. And so how does God save a person? Through the gospel. The gospel is what God uses to restore a person and bring them into the family of God. The gospel is what God uses to, to, to wash a person and to make them righteous and to give them eternal life. The gospel is what, is what God uses to, 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 to adopt a person into the family of God. Call him my son, call him my daughter. Right, give them gifts, give them eternity, give them peace of mind, give them all these beautiful things. The gospel is, is, is what God uses to remove guilt, remove shame from a person's life. So why would I be ashamed of that? Paul's saying, man, why would I be ashamed? Why, why would I be ashamed of that? Why would we be ashamed of that? It's the power of God into salvation. It's what has transformed us. It's what's transformed me. It's the power of God. He says, to everyone who believes. Notice that. To everyone who believes. There's no parentheses in there. There's no way he says no. He says the gospel is a power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. The Greek word for everyone is everyone. <laughs> Every single person, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've been through, no matter what your background is, he says everyone. Everyone who believes. And so God will not withhold salvation from any person or anyone, but there is one requirement for everyone, and that's belief. Right? That's the only requirement. You've got to believe it. You gotta believe it to the point where you embrace it into your life and, 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 and you you trust your whole you trust you trust you trust 
in it with your whole being. That's the only condition. But it's to everyone. Everyone. Notice that Paul doesn't reserve this gift of salvation to only a select few special groups of individuals. Notice that he doesn't say, all right, the, the gospel is a power of God unto salvation for those who have predestined before the foundation of the earth, who have, you know, who God knew that they were going to receive him and that's why he chose them. No, none of that stuff. God says, hey man, it's an open invitation to everyone who believes. Right? It's an open invitation for the whole world. Unfortunately, not the whole world will, will accept that invitation. But to those who will, he says, <laughs> to those who do and, and, and accept that invitation, Jesus would say there in, uh, in John chapter 1, he says, now they be given the right to be called sons of God, daughters of God, right? To all those who believe, to all those who accept that invitation. But he says, everyone. He says, the Jew first and then the Greek, meaning the rest of the world. When he says the Jew first, it's because uh, salvation came through the Jews, right? Jesus was a Jew. He died on the cross, right? And, he was, and, and the Messiah came through Israel, to the nation of Israel. So that's why he says through the Jew first. Not that God has any special preference, but he says, hey, through the Jew first. Why? Because he was a Jew. He says, but after that, hey, to the whole world, to the Greeks, to all the Gentiles, to everyone, he says, right? And again, in verse 17, he says, for in it, that is in the gospel, in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, and as he quotes the prophet Habakkuk, the just shall live by faith. And so we see that the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel. And the righteousness of God means the act of God treating a sinner as if he had, as if he had never sinned at all. In simple terms, that is what the righteousness of God means. The treating, the God treating an individual, a sinner, you know, as if he had never sinned ever. That is the righteousness of God. You know, that is, you could call it the, the right standing before before God. That's the righteousness of God. And we see that the, that the transaction of righteousness that occurs between God and a sinner at the moment a sinner believes in the gospel is a one-time occurrence. It's not that every time you mess up, oh, I got to go receive Jesus again. Ah, I got to go give my life to Jesus again so you can make me righteous again. And oh, I messed up two weeks later. Oh, man, all right, I got to go to God to make me, so you can make me righteous again. No, it's a one-time occurrence. The moment you place your faith in Jesus Christ, for salvation, you are made righteous, meaning that you are in right standing before God. I mean, that God sees you as if you had never sinned. Your slate is wiped clean. You may think, well, what if I come to the Lord, that happens, and then uh, a month later, you know, I fall into sin and, and all this, and uh, really bad sin. I mean, like, man, I did drugs and this and that and the other. Hey, man, you're still righteous before God. Right? Again, because it's a one-time occurrence. The righteousness of Christ is, is imparted once and for all, right? You don't have to continue to go on the cross, right? Because Jesus doesn't have to continue dying on the cross for our sins every time we mess up. It's a one-time thing. God sees you as righteous. I don't feel righteous. That's my wife. She knows I'm not righteous. But God sees me as righteous. He calls me righteous. Right? I mess up. I make mistakes. I feel God. But God doesn't hold that against me. Why? Because He has imparted His righteousness unto me. No matter what I do. That's not a license to sin. But instead it's a green light to serve God even, even, even harder. Because of that. Because of His mercy and His grace and His long suffering towards us. And so, 
Again, the transaction of righteousness that occurs between God and a sinner at that very moment that a sinner places his faith in Jesus is a one-time occurrence. Though we may and will mess up, God doesn't need to continually apply his righteousness to us. It's a one-time thing. You're standing in God's grace right now. You're standing in God's righteousness right now. No matter what's going on up here in your mind or right here in your heart, you're standing in God's righteousness. Now, we see that, that our standing before God our stand before God is in accordance to the righteousness of Jesus Christ, which was poured out for sinners the moment he died on the cross for our sins. And there is absolutely nothing that we can add to that. I don't care how good you can be, how uh, well you can behave, how you know many good things you can do for God. There, none of those things can add to your righteousness. Because right? God has already imparted full righteousness unto you. Not anymore and not any less. There's absolutely nothing that we can add to that. And that's good. That's a good thing. I say it, it should be a positive thing. It's a good thing. Why? Because it doesn't depend on us. Our righteous standing before God doesn't depend on us. It depends on Him. Imagine if it did depend on us. Man, it would be a battle of righteousness in here. And someone could easily boast and say, Oh, yeah, well, I did this and I did that. And so I'm in righteous standing before God. I could boast all I want. Hey, man, I've been here for a year and a half. You know, we've been teaching the Bible and... We planted this church, so oh, I should be standing pretty good. And all of a sudden, he comes Pastor Raw. He's like, "Oh yeah, well I've been teaching for this many. I've taught so many people, and my church has five thousand people." And then here comes Billy Graham. Oh yeah, well I've preached at stadiums with millions, and I've saved so many people, and this and that. And then here comes the Apostle Paul. Oh yeah, it's like man, just this battle of righteousness. But I'm so glad that it doesn't depend on us, but it depends on on God. Right? He's already made us righteous when He died on the cross, and when we believe. And Him for salvation. And now all we must do is rest in it. Just rest in it. Just walk in it. That's it. I love uh, this, this relationship with the Lord because it's not burdensome. It's not right. I got saved now. What should I do? What do I need to do now? Hey, just rest in it, man. Just walk in it. Anything else God calls you to do, hey, man, between you and the Lord, just rest in it. Right? That's the difference between a relationship with Christ and a religion. Religion is man trying to reach God. A relationship based of salvation based on, uh, on the Bible, according to the Bible, is God reaching out to man. Right? God did all the work. You know, we just received and we're resting in it now. And so Paul goes on to say now there in, in, in verse 18. I'll go through this quickly. He says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because what may be what may be known of God is manifest in them for God has shown it to them for since the creation of the world his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse because although they knew God they did not glorify him as God nor were thankful but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened they were professing to be wise but they became fools and changed the glory of an incorruptible God, of the incorruptible God, into an image made like corruptible man, of birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lust of their hearts, to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. 
Someone may ask, well, what about that person who's way out there in the jungle so no missionaries can get over there? They don't have TV. They don't have satellite te television. They're, they, they're never going to get a Bible in their hands or in their language. No one's ever going to tell them Jesus died on the cross for your sins. What about that person? Will God send that person to hell? Will God judge that person uh, uh, even though they've never heard the gospel? Paul says it right here. He goes and answers. He says, again, verse 19, because what may be known of God is manifest in them. Talking about those people out there who are who, who, who no one can ever reach, he says. The he says what what may be known of God is manifest to them, meaning is shown to them. For God has shown it to them, and how did God show it to them? He says in verse twenty. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Meaning, anybody could look look at the world around us. Right? And, and recognize, man, there has to be a creator. There has to be a God who created all of this. Now, you go to the Amazons, and there's no atheists in the Amazons. I guarantee you. This, the beautiful sight down there, the stars at night, the different colors, all these different fish, all these different noises, animals. There's no, there's no atheists down there in the, in the Amazons, or at least natives that, that live there. There's no atheists. Everyone can look at creation and say, man, there's a God that exists. And that's what's known as general revelation. God has revealed himself to, to us in two ways. General revelation, which is through nature or through uh, what we see, the sky, the stars, the moons, the, the galaxies, the mountains, the sea, all these things point to a creator. That's general revelation. That's what Paul's talking about. Those guys who, who don't have his letters and who can't, uh, who can't refer to the book of Romans for salvation or John 3.16, they could look at creation and say, there's a God who exists and God has put his law in our hearts and they could be obedient to that, to that law and God will judge them according to, to, to that law in their hearts. So he says they're without excuse. Why? Because God has provided a revelation of himself in nature, in the world. They're without excuse because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God nor were thankful. Right? He's saying, hey man, some of those guys, they could look at that and recognize that there's a God but still choose to reject the God that they know in their minds and in their hearts exist and God and Paul saying and those guys God will judge but those who never had John 3 16 or the Bible or uh, Calvary Chapel there where they're at man, God's going to judge them according to to, to, the, to to their hearts to their hearts convictions that's good that's a good thing right because it's it's again it's still by faith you're still going to look at the world around them and say hey man there's a God who exists who created all this and who created me it's by faith for us it's by faith for them it's by faith again I'm going again down to, to verse 20, 24. It says, Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lust of their, their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for, for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. There's no difference between them and us. We, God has revealed himself again to us through general revelation but also through special revelation which is his word. This is special revelation. Right? Because... We could look at the mountains, we could look at the sea, we could look at all these things and recognize that there's a God. But the mountains, the sea, the moon, the stars, the animals, they can't tell us of His love, of His forgiveness, of His mercy, of His sacrifice on the cross, of His plan for your life. Right? But the Bible does. The Bible does. And Paul says, hey man, to those who recognize that, but still choose to go after all those other things and, and serve and worship the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. He says, yeah, he says, those guys, he says, God will judge. 
according to that. Why? Because they've exchanged the truth of God. Not that they didn't see it. They have it. They've touched it. They felt it. They know it. And they've exchanged it to pursue their own lust. He didn't say that they never knew. He says they knew it. They had it. And they exchanged it to serve their own lust. He says, hey, those guys, God will judge. Right? Because they worship the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. And he says, amen, which means I'm in agreement. And uh, me too. I'm in agreement. God is fair. God is an awesome, he's an awesome God. Right? When we get to heaven, no one is ever going to be able to accuse God of being unfair or being unjust. We know that God is completely fair, completely just, completely righteous, completely uh, patient, completely uh, man, merciful. I love that by our Lord. Amen. We'll stop right there. We'll pick it up next week. Father, thank you so much Lord, for your word, Lord, and just for just the deep truths that are in just in, 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 in your word, Lord. And just thank you so much, Lord, that we could that we get to just uh, uh, dissect it, Lord, and, and tear it apart, Lord, and really uh, uh, learn about it, apply it to our lives, walk in it, Lord, and, and, and be able to teach it to others. I pray, Father God, that you would just give us uh, a sense of of, uh, of of security, Lord, a sense of, uh, of assurance, Lord, as we walk out of this place. Cause us to know, Lord, with, with, with everything in us, Lord, that you, uh, Lord, have called us righteous, that you've made us righteous, Lord, and that we stand in your righteousness, Lord, and that you love us, Father. You love us, that you have a plan for our lives, Lord, and that uh, your will is, 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 is to, is to is, your will for us is for good and not for evil, to give us a hope and a future. So, Lord, I pray that you would just bless my brothers and sisters, Lord. You bless the kids next door, Lord. May you just, uh, Lord, bless their little hearts as well, Lord. And uh, just be with us today, Father God, with our families, Lord. And uh, just bless the little church, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys.